journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavuot and welcome to Mystical Text. We are learning the Pasha of Bereshis, of Chumash, and we're just coming in, hopefully, please God, looking actually forward to a much, much better week than uh, Klal Yisrael had last week with the tragedy in Mehran. And um, I was thinking as I was preparing for uh, this broadcast that it's perhaps important just to say a few words on this tragedy. And it is something that obviously as Jews we've gone through a lot in our exile and we'll be learning now in Chumash how our father Yaakov actually sees through the ladder everything that will happen to the Jewish people from the time that he dreamt it until our very time now and in fact until the time of redemption which should be very, very soon. And one of the questions that we know that we can't ask is the question, why? And I heard a very interesting idea that we cannot ask why because why belongs in a realm that is in a space that is unlimited. Our brain and our ability to put the world together, to understand what the world is all about, has a limited capacity. Whatever it is, you could be a genius and have an IQ of 170, but there is a limit to actually understanding all the secrets of the world. Why belongs in a place and in a space that is beyond human comprehension. And so I'm not here to explain why. But I think that one of the lessons that I certainly learned and that struck me very, very deeply when um, we all woke up on Friday to see that the most incredible day of unity, of love, of connectedness had changed into such a tragedy and the way the tragedy worked, we know that there's a lesson from, there's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, that says that everything we see and we hear is a lesson in God. And I think this is one of the lessons. I'm sure there's many. And I'm sure different aspects will speak to different people. But this was a case of Jews, unfortunately, sadly, certainly, categorically, unintentionally, standing on other Jews and crushing them. And I think that, you know, when we live in the world and we get involved with politics and we get involved with economics and we get involved with family relationships and, and all the stuff that we, we are involved in because we have to live in this world, um, there are many, many times where unintentionally at very best and sometimes sadly intentionally at very worst, consciously, we crush other people um, because we find ourselves in difficult spaces. This was a constriction. People were trying to move. Somebody slipped. Um, whatever the force of, of the people trying to move, um, there was a, a tremendous amount of force. And before you knew it, people went into panic and the stampede occurred. Same too in our lives. We find ourselves many times in places and spaces where it's tough. Um, it's very, very hard. There are, there are a lot of forces in our lives. And there are times that we're, we're asked to go through very narrow spaces, difficult, difficult times. 
And I think one of the lessons that we learn from this whole stampede that even if it's unintentional, one's got to be very, very careful not to stand on another human being, not to stand on a, and crush the life out of another human being because either we're fearful or we are anxious or even worse, we don't want to take responsibility and it's just much easier to bring the other person down than for us to step up to the plate and take responsibility. And so, you know, when something like this happens and it, it, it becomes very much part of um, our the space that we take up, and I don't think that there is um, a Jew out there that um, was not shocked by this entire incident, and there isn't a human being out there that cannot not have compassion for the fact that now we have over 40 families that are bereft of loved ones, sons. Some families buried two sons, fathers who, you know, looked after um, wives, children, and all of them loving human beings people dedicated to the goodness of humanity, people dedicated to having a relationship with God. These, this, this was not an evil thing. This was not an, an intentional, um, you know, madman or massacre going on. This was completely unintentional from all sides. But the pain is there. And the bottom line is that we need to take a lesson from it because – not only should we have the compassion and feel and support those that have lost loved ones, but um, if we recognize that as the Jewish people and even greater as humanity, we are in fact one body. And when one limb hurts, the, others, the other limb doesn't go and, you know, the left arm doesn't go smack the right arm for, for having pain. But the left arm is in pain with the right arm, et cetera, et cetera. So to you know, on a, on a, on a global consciousness, we need to, to look inside of ourselves and see and, and inspect and ask ourselves, do I trample on anybody? Intentionally, God forbid if I have, then you're very aware of it and you need to make amends. And then even ask yourselves more deeper, even unintentionally, do I go around and crush people around me when I am not um, in a godly state, when I feel fear, when I'm anxious, when it's tough and I need to step up to the plate and take responsibility and it's just easier to pass it on to somebody else. So I think that this is a, a very important lesson and it comes at a very timeliest time. Um, it comes in a time when we are sitting between the um, holidays of Pesach and Shavuot the holidays between Pesach and Shavuot are characterized by character refinement. Every week we have a different aspect of our soul that we need to look in and rectify and clear up and fix up. And um, this, I think, was a very, very loud lesson. Um, I heard one person, um, it was uh, um, an eyewitness, um, she went and said, it felt like the heart of the Jewish people, it had a heart attack. And now we need to massage it back to life. 
It's enough of the foribles. It's enough of the anger. It's enough of the dissent. It's enough of this disproportionate hatred um, between people of being vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and Biden or Trump, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, supporters or whatever it is that we argue about. It's enough. It doesn't really matter. We all can think differently. We can agree to disagree. But really deep down inside, we need to take responsibility for each other. So I think it's something that everybody should just spend maybe five minutes thinking about. And then the second thing um, that I just want to add in is that it's not good enough only recognizing if you are trampling, so if you are, please stop, um, but that we should go actually the other way out and go out and just do unadulterated acts of goodness and kindness, be kind to the people around you, be kind to strangers, look at people where life has trampled on them and life is difficulty, difficult. And there are many, many, unfortunately, out there, especially today. Go do something kind to them. It doesn't cost a lot of money. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands of rand. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's just buying a cake for Shabbos. Maybe it's just sending a message. But let's reverse any hatred, any distent, any form of stampeding out of our hearts, out of our souls, and let's do what we need to do to turn this entire situation around, to honor those that passed um, um, in such a horrific way to teach us such a powerful lesson, and that hopefully that with all of this and our, our using this energy for positive, we will do what's needed. And really there's very little needed left to bring the world to fruition and with the arrival of Mashiach. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and we are going to bring more peace to the world and more unity to the Jewish people. And the best way, one of the ways, one of the best ways to do that is to learn Torah. We are reading from Genesis chapter 28, verse 13. That's where we're going to start. We're in the Pasha of Ayetze, and we stopped last time talking about um, Jacob arriving at the Mount Moriah, at the most holiest place on the earth and he puts some stones around him and he falls asleep and behold he sees a ladder and on that ladder the ladder is on it's touching the ground and it's ascending heavenward which we learned by the way was that um we uh we we, we said that will be uh, it it was touching the throne of glory and um we uh, we said that he saw angels that were coming down and going up, and going up and coming down. An angel actually, in fact, was first going up and then coming down. And we spoke a lot about who these angels were. Once he's seen the angels, um, God comes to him and speaks to him. And let's see what God says to him. So we're in verse 13, chapter 28, Perik Chof Ches, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Vehine Hashem Nitzav Alav. And behold, Hashem was standing over him. God was standing over him. Vayomar, and God says, Ani Hashem Elokei Avraham Avicha. I am the Lord your God of Abraham, your father. Ve'elokei Yitzchak, and the God of Yitzchak. Ha'aretz asher ata shochev aleha, the land on which, uh, the, the ground on which you are lying, lecha etnena 
I will give it to you and to your offspring. Right. So, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that it says here, on the land that you are lying. The Midrash comes and tells us that, in fact, what happened was that God folded all of the land of Israel under Jacob as he slept. And that was so, so that he uh, would be able to take possession of it by making use of it. It's called a chazaka. Okay, so that is just a, sim- a symbolic that the land of Israel in its entirety belongs to the Jewish people given to God by, um, given to God through Yaakov. But there's a very interesting thing over here. And if you really, really look back into the verses, and this is what I love about Torah, like we kind of like translate and just move on. But if you start actually paying a little bit more attention, you will see that there are some strange details. And here I'm referring to the way that God introduces himself. He says, I'm the Lord your God, Ani Hashem, Hashem. Elokei Avraham Avicha, the God of Avraham your father, Elokei Yitzhak, and the God of Yitzhak. Now, anybody who knows Bible, it's black and white, it's grade one. Um, Isaac is the father of Jacob, not Abraham. Abraham is the grandfather. So why is God saying, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and just the God of Yitzchok? Surely you should have said, I am the, fa- the, the, the Lord of Abraham and of Yitzchok, your father. So, we see here that this was, in fact, very, very intentional. Okay? Um, yes, we know Yitzchak was, in fact, Yaakov's father, and Avram was his grandfather. But Yaakov, Jacob, was afraid that the blessings that Isaac had given him would not be fulfilled. Why? Because Isaac had actually intended to bless Esau, to bless Esau. And we know that in Chaya Sarah, if you go back um, a couple of parashiyots, you we read over there. It's in, um, in 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 the time where uh, Abraham is blessing. He doesn't bless Isaac. Why? Because he knew that Isaac was going to father Esau. So when Isaac said to Yaakov, "May he grant you Abraham's blessing." This you can go back into this chapter, chapter 28, verse 4. Yitzchak said to him, may God grant you Abraham's blessing. He indicated that all of Jacob's spiritual power actually came from his grandfather, Abraham, not from his father, Yitzchak. And we also saw in Parashat Toldot that God accepted Isaac's prayer rather than that of Rivka because he was the son of a saint she was the daughter of a wicked man, and since he gave, he made that prayer that may you, um, may you grant, may God, may God grant, sorry, may God grant you Abraham's blessings that it would come true. So for all of these reasons, Abraham was considered Jacob's father even more than Yitzchak. And that's why God now tells Jacob, I am the Lord of your father Abraham, and the Lord of Yitzchak. So that is a, a very, very interesting thing um, because we know that when Jacob uh, eventually does marry, he does not have any children that um, 
leave the path of Judaism. We're also told that at this time, God promises Jacob that he would be buried in the Holy Land. When he folded the land under his head, he also gave him the promise that he indeed will be buried in the Holy Land. And we know that that was an entire endeavor much later because life eventually takes Jacob down to Egypt where he dies and um, they, they inter him there. But when the Jews leave Egypt um, with Yitziat Mitzrayim, they actually take the, the coffin of Yaakov with them and bring, bring him back to Marata Machpelah where, where um, he's interred. Verse 14, and just by the way, as always, if you'd like to ask a question, please don't be shy if you want to have a comment. 34519 is the SMS number. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. We come to a very, very famous verse now. Um, God now continues his blessing. Not only am I giving you the land on which you are lying, the higher zaracha ka'afa ha'aretz. Your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth, Ufaratsta, and you are going to break out. Yama Vakedma Vitsafoina Vanegba. You are going to break out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And through you and your children and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now these words, Ufaratsta, Yoma, Vakedma, Vitsafoina, Venegba, is something that certainly as a prophecy has come true. The Jewish people have been dispersed, north, south, east, and west. And in fact, if one thinks about it today, there probably is not a land where Jews have lived, Jews have flourished, Jews have contributed, and Jews have been. There are some places now that Unfortunately, um, there are no more Jews, um, and we have, we are the, the wandering people, and this is in fact, uh, the, 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 the blessing of that we will be like the dust of the earth, and we will be found on every corner of the earth. The purpose, the purpose is that we are to bring blessing into the places that we are found. And again, undoubtedly, this is um, something that that is visible, that um, as a general rule, Jews are contributing to society, to community, to the places that they find themselves in. And um, the greater world, the the, the 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 greater Gentile world, when they open their arms and accept Jews, they will flourish. Where Jews have had a nasty time, a horrible time, being thrown out, being expelled. Um, unfortunately, that blessing uh, is taken away. But I have to here also discuss just perhaps as, as an educational um, idea, um, the verse of Faratsta, Yoma, Vakedma, Vitsafona, Venegba is very much part of the genre of the Chabad Lubavitch movement. Um, and this really, really explains why while one travels one can find a Chabad house in every corner of the world. They have literally taken this verse of spreading out north, south, east, and west. Well, I should really say spreading out west, east, north, and south because that's the, the, the way that it is. But they have gone out 
on um, uh, with what we call misirat nefesh, with self-sacrifice, with negating all the comforts that a um, religious Jew would want, schooling, Torah schooling, kosher food, amenities, mikvahs, shuls, and gone to far-fung places and started up a Jewish oasis so that they could be a a net um, for all Jews around the world, not only those that um, locally live in the places, but even more so those that travel through places. And there are certain places, for example, uh, Venice, where you know you're not going to hear a Jew emigrating to live in Venice, but the Chabad house there um, feeds thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews um, that would visit um, there on a yearly basis. The same thing in India and the same thing um, in, in, in China. Um, there, there's a lot of business. There's Jewish people doing a lot of business and the Chabad houses are there to provide a, a Jewish place, an anchor, a place of warmth, a place of love. And it's in fulfillment that we spread out to the west, to the east, to the north and to the south. And because through that, um, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, a, a very, very interesting idea that we see very much alive today in um, the way and where Jewish people are found. Interestingly, um, they use the word yam, which means west, but also can mean the sea, ufarats the yama, and you will break out of the sea um, could also, or not could also, was also an indication, a hint that through your merit, Yaakov, the Red Sea will split when your descendants leave the land of Israel, sorry, the land of Egypt. So Yam can also be read as sea and talks about the miracle of the Red Sea. God then continues in verse 15, imach, and behold, I am with you. Um and I will guard you wherever you go. Vahashi voisa hazot, I will bring you back to this land. Kilo I will not abandon you until I have done what I have promised you. And what did God promise? God promised that He would Look after Yaakov and his children and his children's children ad infinitum all the way to today. And um, truly, he hasn't abandoned us. Yes, there is difficulty in uh, you know in in what we are doing and what we, you know where we are going and and, and we, we've had some really really bad times. But um, one needs to appreciate the fact that. Um, God hasn't ever abandoned the Jewish people, and that has in fact secured us um, while we have traveled through Galut, while we've been dispersed west and east, north and south. I want to go back a little bit to the ladder, because the ladder um, has many, many, many um, symbolic overtures. And while we discussed a few, we discussed the fact that it was um, showing that Yaakov was connected to a source much higher than the physical reality. We discussed the fact that it was symbolic of prayer 
and that when we pray, um, we create angels, and angels go up and down the ladder. Um, there is also the fact that this ladder, as I said, mentioned previously, was prophetic vision. It was Yaakov understanding what will happen to his descendants, to his children and his children's children until this very day. And there are many, many opinions as to what has been done. So the first is, first opinion given is that the ladder symbolizes the big Mizbeach, the great altar that stood in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Now, it says, obviously, we know that it stood on the ground, but we know that its head, um, metaphorically, was in heaven. Meaning what? That on this altar, there would be sacrifices, and that the, the fragrance of the sacrifices would ascend on high, and God would cherish them very, very much. And so the symbolism of the angels ascending and descending was an illusion, or is an illusion, to the Kohanim, to the priests who would offer the sacrifices. They would climb up to the top of the altar and then go down again. So this ladder, remember that Yaakov is sleeping on the place where the temples were established on Harahamoria, today known as the Temple Mount. And so it's very, very um, conducive to understanding that the, the ladder was in fact a symbol of of this um, great altar that was in the temple. We have another um, uh, symbolism. We have another uh, symbol, and that is that the ladder symbolized the revelation at Mount Sinai and the fact that the Torah would be brought down from heaven here. How do we get to that opinion? Well, if you look at the word, the value of the Hebrew word for ladder, it's Sulam, Samach Lamed Mem. Samach is 60, Lamed is 30, Mem is 40. It adds up to 130. And that has the same numerical value, value as the word Sinai, Sinai. And so this opinion goes and says that um, the angels that were going up and down um, allude to Moses and Aaron who ascended to heaven and then descended with the Torah. And they properly are referred to as angels of gods because prophets can also be called angels. A malach um, can mean an angel. It can also mean a messenger. We're going to go for a bit of a break, and when we get back, we're going to learn even more symbolism. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, let's go back. We were talking about the ladder and that before the break we said the ladder was a symbol of the great altar, the Mizbeach, and that was found in the courtyard of the temple. Another opinion went and said that the ladder symbolized the revelation at Mount Sinai and the way we worked that out is that the numerical value of the word sulam, of the ladder, um, has the same numerical value as Sinai with Moses and Aaron being angels. There's another illusion, another symbol, and that is that this whole vision that he had of the ladder and of angels going up and down was in fact an illusion to the exile of the Jewish people. 
and the destruction of the holy temple. Meaning the Jews would suffer very much in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And they, Nebuchadnezzar had made an idol 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. If you want to go check that, you can look it up in the book of Daniel. And the letters of Sulam, again, Samach Lamed Mem, can be changed around and made as Semel. Semel means a statue or an idol. So it was a symbol of the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar, who put a semel, who put an idol in the temple. Well, then you can ask, who are the angels? The angels are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They descended into the fiery furnace, and they ascended unscathed. And so with that, um, we've got a third symbol. There's more. And I'm trying to look to see which one I should give you first because there is maybe three or four more. Right, let's go on to the next one. God also showed Jacob the form of the holy temple as it was going to be built by King Solomon. We know that the ladder reached, it says, to kiss our covet, to the throne of glory. What was there at the throne of glory? It was showing the form of the holy temple that was going to be built. And then he showed it destroyed. Then he showed it rebuilt, and then he showed it destroyed again. And then he showed Yaakov how it would be rebuilt in the time of Mashiach, and it would last forever. And I'm going to pick up on this point again at the end. Probably one of the most compelling and, and, and one of the, the ideas that I like the most is that in looking at this ladder, this ladder taking on the fact that we are seeing the, the the building of the temple, the destruction of the temple, the building of the temple, the destruction of the temple. Then the you know then then awaiting now for the building of the third one. Following on that, you can ask, well, so so what? What about all the angels? Well, we're told that Jacob also was given the vision of the guardian angels of these empires. So the first angel that went up was an angel that symbolized the Babylonian Empire. He climbed up 70 rungs, 7-0, and came down because that was how long we were, in, uh, we were in exile for. The angel of the Persian Empire climbed up 52 rungs and then came down. And then the Greek Empire's angel climbed up 180 rungs and then it too fell down, meaning each angel was able to climb a rung for each year that the empire would endure, and then it would descend to end, to indicate that the empire would fall. But here's the scary thing. Jacob then sees the angel of Edom, Edom being Rome, Rome being the Western civilization. That's us. We are in Galut Edom. We are in the exile of Edom. So he watches this angel climb the ladder, and he can't count how many rungs it climbed. And he did not also see it coming down. And so the Midrash says he got very startled. And he said, this is terrible. You're telling me that in the fourth exile that, our, that the Jewish people will be in, the civilization will last forever? And Yaakov, and, and God responds, Altira Yaakov, do not fear Yaakov. Because although 
Edom's angel is climbing and climbing, and it is looks like a, it is so close to Kisei HaKavod, to the throne of glory. I will cast him down too, um, but you too will have climbed the ladder. And it says that Yaakov was still very petrified, and he said to God, what good is it to climb the ladder and go down again like these angels? And God said to him, those are the angels. That is talking about the Gentile world. And for you, I promise you, you will ascend and you will never descend. And that's a very, very powerful, powerful uh, lesson because um, God was saying, and we are proof of that promise, that despite all the trials and tribulations, the exiles, the concentration camps, the expulsions, the pogroms, whatever you want to name it, the terrorist attacks, whatever you want to try and do, the Jewish people cannot be obliterated. Whilst it's very hard to climb that ladder, while it's very hard for us to try and reach heaven, our destination is the, the throne of, of, of glory. It is God. And we're almost there, folks. We're almost, almost there. And I think that this is something that we really, really need to um, think about a lot, particularly again in, um, in uh, you know, our lives today. And in face of, again, the tragedy in Mehran and where we are, I'm going to go for a bit of a break and then we'll just wrap up. I'm going to try to bring this idea to fruition and to give you some food for thought for the week ahead. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And we were just finishing up the idea of the ladder. Um, and uh, one of the other ideas that really resonates with me is that Jacob's vision of this ladder um, also teaches that this world is a ladder, right? There are people ascending and there are people descending. And you can, t you can really look at it on many, many levels. There is birth in this world. That's people descending, coming from the heavenly store of souls and coming into this world to do their part, to bring more godliness into this world. And there are people that are ascending, that have finished their jobs in this world and have gone back and returned their souls to their maker. There's also the wheel of, of life, so to speak. You know, there's people that can attain uh, wealth, attain status, and then there are others that become poor. And there are there is health and there is sickness. And there is movement. In life, nothing is stagnant, even though we always are trying to get to a state of homeostasis. We're always trying to get balance in our lives. We're always trying to to have just like, you know, a straight line. We don't want too much on either side. Um, life is not like that. Life is a ladder. And really, I think that the main message here that we can learn is that we either have a choice to ascend or descend. And to bring it full circle to my introductory comments, um, particularly on the tragedy in Mehran, we can, as the Jewish people, we can, as human beings, choose to ascend from this horrible tragedy by doing more acts of goodness and kindness, by rectifying our behavior and ensuring that we don't trample, or we can descend 
God forbid. We can descend into recrimination, into blame, into unjust and unfair opinion on other people, and we can just bring the scaffolding down. The choice is ours. What are you going to do? Have a lovely week ahead.